How's everybody doing? All good. How's the fast going, by the way? Hey? Some of you are saying, what fast? <laughs> um, if you're new to our church, we encouraged everybody to do a fast in February and to, to fast something. Uh, not like a full food fast, uh, but you, you could do kind of like a Daniel fast or you could fast like social media. I'm fasting chocolate. So I've lost weight. I'm kidding. Um, Jen and I really enjoy our chocolate. You know, you got to, who, who thinks you've got to have just even if it's a little piece of chocolate every day? Okay. Amen. Amen. You guys are in the right church. Just even if it's a little bit. The problem with, uh, in our house, is Jin doesn't believe in having a little bit. It's like smash the whole slab. So her aunt, once, a true story, bought me a big, remember when cabbages make those like 200 gram slabs? I mean, what's happening with our chocolate slabs? They're like getting smaller and smaller by the year. Like now they're 80 grams. What's that, man? That's like you're popping a pill. Anyway, <laughs> so she, she bought me this 200 gram slab and put it in the cupboard. Now I'm one who can also just keep my chocolates there, you know? And I, I, I left it for about a week. And I, on the way home, I was like, you know what? I'm going to eat that chocolate tonight. I get home and have dinner. And I was like, I go to the cupboard. And I'm like, it's not there. And eventually I'm like, Janina, she just keeps quiet. Where is my chocolate? Keeps quiet. I go look in the bin and the wrapper. The whole chocolate, 200 grams. And she, she ate, ate just before I came home and she was going to go buy another one the next day and replace it. Anyway, so chocolate doesn't last long in the house, but we are fasting chocolate and the idea is to fast something. Um, and it, it's really just, uh, I think fasting is such a, a good discipline. Um, but in that time, you know, when we remember why we're craving something is just to, to remember what Jesus has done for us. And in that time, ideally, we meant to just be praying and trusting God to, to speak uh, to us. Uh, if you joined us for our prayer and fasting evening, prayer and fasting, prayer and worship evening, I, I spoke about fasting and the different benefits of it and, and what it's there for. But we can fast for many uh, specific things in, in our life that we trust in God for. But yeah, so that's, uh, I hope it's going well. I know some of you are fasting, which is amazing. And... Uh, we are now three weeks after our Vision Sunday, which was Lovers of Truth. So we launched the, the theme for our year this year. So everything will come back to this theme. It doesn't mean every teaching series um, will include Lovers of Truth. But for us this year, we're really feeling as a church, and in speaking to a lot of people and other pastors and churches, I think people are saying, like, I, I want the truth. Because in a world of compromise and all the craziness that, that is going on, I think people actually are desperate for truth. And, and the Word of God actually says that we should embrace the truth, that we should desire it, we should want it, we should be lovers of truth. So you're ready for some truth this morning? Seriously, are you really, really ready? Remember last year I spoke about being in the moment, your best days are now. Your best days are now. So if you're here today, I trust that you're going to engage in the moment. You're in the room. Those online, there's always some people in the foyer. Really trust that you would engage because God is wanting to, to say something to you today. And um, I'm always humbled by the fact that God uses people. Someone like me who honestly was terrified to communicate, didn't know how to do it, looked at a communicator when I was young, uh, you know, preaching, and I was like, that, that is the last job on earth I ever thought I'd do. So here I am today finding myself communicating. So, so if you are terrified to communicate, we're on the same page, okay? But I really believe that God uses people and he, he equips those that he calls. 
And today, um, very specifically, uh, I'm excited about some of the stuff that I unpacked in, in this message series. We're going to be on this message series for a couple of weeks. We'll see where it goes. Um, sometimes we take content uh, from various sources and we, we piece together. Sometimes we create completely original content. This particular one is just going to be a little bit of an evolving one, okay? Is that all right? And I, I really uh, just discovered some amazing things with this. So we're going to set the foundation today. And I'd done some prep up until Friday around this message, and yesterday was a bit of a full day for us. It's half term, my son's home. Um, we had a 40th last night, so if Jin's a little tired, that's because we were at a 40th, okay, not a 21st. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you kind of get, the older you get, the, the, the earlier you leave, you know what I'm saying? So 50th, now you start leaving at 9 o'clock, is that right? I'm only joking, I'm only joking. We, we're going to be there soon. Um, but, uh, so anyway, yesterday morning, uh, Saturday is like our sleeping day. We can just sleep in just a little bit. You know what I mean? So I was quite excited to, I'd been up late also doing some prep. And then God wakes me up, like early, like with a dream. And I'm like, Lord, you know, I just wanted to sleep in. But very specifically, this dream, it was, you know, it was like so real. So like I get up to preach, okay? And I'm in this like hall. It wasn't even this church. And, and then I'm like, oh, I forgot something. So then I went back off and then I came back. And then there was a scripture reference that I was giving and I was like, I couldn't remember the scripture reference. Maybe it was just one of those, like, you know, you have these dreams about things that you maybe uh, not are worried about, but you like just kind of trying to figure out. And, and I didn't know the scripture reference. And then it was back in COVID days and there was like a, a whole 10 of you in the auditorium scattered around, you know. And then people started leaving. I was like, I can't believe it. And there was like one or two faithful people that stayed. And then I was like, that's so rude. How can they leave like while I'm preaching? And I went out and I think it was actually Edgar. <laughs> I, I, you were leaving with your wife. <laughs> I was like, thanks. What's going on? But he just said, no, I can't. Just. And then I wake up and I'm like, Lord, what are you trying to say? He says, I woke you up because I want you to be really, really prepared this time. Not that I'm not prepared other times, but God wanted to teach me something and show me something. So, Edgar, this is for you today. Hopefully, you're going to stay. Don't walk out, eh? Because when you preach the Word of God, there is, you can never do enough preparation. You can never get enough out of it. It's like a song. It's never finished. You've actually just got to release a song. Like when we recorded 24 Scars albums, at some stage you go, well, there it is. You can always add something, take something, add another line. There's so much more. And with the word of God, there's always something more. So God woke me up early and I was like, oh, I just wanted to sleep in. But I'm so grateful that he did because I found some stuff that I hadn't yet found in the preparation. So now do you want to hear it? You ready for some truth? So we look at the parable of the sower. And I touched on this three weeks ago with the lovers of truth. It came, remember I said there was a parable that preceded this. And I spoke about the different soils and the seed that fell on the good soil. They embraced the truth, that they were lovers of truth. And the traditional title is, it, it is the parable of the sower or the farmer sowing a seed. And it's probably one of the most iconic parables in the Bible. It's, it's the one that a lot of people, even non-Christians, are potentially even familiar with. Now just to help us all understand, because... I'm a very simple person, so I, did, I, I didn't, um, if I got an A at school, yeah, I was stoked. I normally got G for Greg, you know, that's my surname, you know. So I like to keep things very simple, and, and I think Jesus also did this because there was all sorts of people listening, and he told a lot of stories. So the word uh, parable, um, it comes from a, a Greek word which is, is 
parabole, I think is that how you say it, but it basically that original word means comparison. So you love to compare things, and the meaning in the Greek is it's a metaphor, it's a simile, it's an illustration, it's a figure of uh, speech. It's, it, it, it wants, it's like sayings that help us um, stimulate our thinking and, and really intense thought around something so that we can apply it to our lives. Are you with me? Um, it's a mystery. It's a puzzle. It's, it's a riddle. And just remember that word mystery. We'll talk about it next week. Okay, so make sure you're here next week. And this particular story appears in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. I read from Luke for the lovers of truth um, three weeks ago. But today I want to look at Mark's account. And if you have your Bibles or they're up on the screen, you can look at Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And it says this, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. Uh, They believe the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to show you that in a moment. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into the boat and then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. And he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one, the one we're about to tell. I just wish we could have had all the stories he told because, I mean, they couldn't, like, account for everything. I think maybe the memory of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't, I mean, it's amazing what they have captured, but there, there were so many more miracles. There's so many more stories that one day maybe we'll get to understand and know. But how cool is this? Just picture the scene here. There's this large crowd that is just gathering from nearby towns. Now, remember this. There's no Insta-sponsored posts. There's no party flyers. There's no posters. There's no emails, there's no WhatsApp groups or broadcasts going out. It's just a, just a crowd of people following this incredible man, just gleaning on every single word that he has to say. And what's also amazing is there was no sound system. So they had to use natural acoustics. And to help us kind of understand uh, the, the setting of this particular story, I've got some uh, imagery here just to show you. So here's kind of, we're up there, the north there, there's the Sea of Galilee. Okay, and if we zoom in a bit more, um, this is where they believe it, uh, it was just outside Capernaum. And the cove th- that they believe where this happened is potentially this cove here. They call, they call the cove of the sower. Um, now, there's no plaque there that says this is exactly where Jesus did it, but this is where they believe he would have done it. And if you go in a bit closer, you can start to see this natural bay area where they believe that all the people would be sitting on the hillside and Jesus had kind of drifted out a little bit uh, on a boat and was talking from there. If you're sitting from the top, you could see like this natural amphitheater. And obviously in those days, no sound systems. So they would use the natural acoustics of the topography of the land and then obviously the water, how you know, sound travels of, of water. But isn't that amazing? I've never, I haven't been to Israel. I'm desperate to go there. I know some of you have been. We did have a trip planned in 2020. Like many of us had trips planned. <laughs> Nothing happened. But we are looking at picking up on that again because Israel is now open and maybe later in the year or next year, um, who wants to go to Israel? I think it would just be amazing. Imagine to, to sit there going, okay, Jesus sitting on a boat there telling the story. So I wanted to get, kind of get you into it so that you understand the context because it's so important to get into it. We, we are often visually uh, inspired. That's why we like movies. And it's amazing. Sometimes when you read the text, we... We don't picture it well. It's like war movies. I, I almost think like the olden days are in black and white. You know what I'm saying? Because everything that we saw was in black and white. Apparently they've done color, like of World War, which kind of brings it to life in a whole new way. And it's the same as with the Word of God. We need to get into it and understand it. So picture yourself sitting there listening um, to the story, and this is the story. And he starts off by saying, listen. 
I'm going to talk a little bit about that specific word in, in weeks to come because there's so much in it. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the fields, some of the seed fell on the footpath. So he talks about the, the hard ground, the footpath, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the shallow soil with underlying rocks. So there's a second kind of uh, space that he's talking about. Some say the, the, you know, the shaly, stony ground. And the seed sprouted up quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon withered under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns. That's a third soil he kind of talks about that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on the fertile soil. There's four, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop. There was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So he opens this story with listen, and then he closes it with listen. So the series is called The Four Types or the, the four soils. And here clearly he gives us four different types of soil. Okay? Then following this story, there's a whole conversation uh, that Jesus has with only his disciples, which he gives a deeper look and a meaning into this particular parable, which we will look at weeks to come. Because I think the disciples, um, sometimes they were either you know, confused, but some of them maybe weren't necessarily so familiar with the, the, the Hebrew text. But he unpacks it with them, which we will look in weeks to come. Now, I want to just also help you understand this particular story, which the people that he was talking to, it would have been quite familiar to them because most of those people from those towns and neighboring towns would probably be kind of a poorer community, maybe like peasant farmers, but they were very familiar with this type of story. And for us today, maybe not. But I want to help you understand this. So we're going to put up a picture of what would have looked like uh, Two fields or two farms. Sorry, it's a bit grainy, but you will see um, on the right-hand side, you'll see a field. Uh, no, not rocky places yet. <laughs> on the right-hand side, you'll see a field. And then on the left-hand side, there is, there's another field going there. And this potentially would have been, in the middle, you'll see the rocks would have been a boundary line for, for two farms. And that's how they would draw the boundary line. They would just put some rocks. Okay, we'll come back to the rocks a little later. And then, um, and then you will see a path... Uh, kind of where people would walk on the boundary line. So, so anyway, so pull up those texts here. So you get the rocky places that Jesus is talking about. Then you get the thorns, which would often grow in between the, the, the rocks, okay, because they weren't nurtured and cultivated there. And then you would get the good soil, which is on the far left and the far right, which were the fields. And then you would get like this pathway, okay? So you with me? Now, this particular analogy would have been quite familiar to them because they, they, a lot of them were far, farmers. And they would have understood immediately the concept of why Jesus was telling the story. And of the places that you would want your seed to, to uh, fall and to sprout and to grow would obviously be the good soil. Now, if you were like me, when I was reading this, I was questioning, well, how did the seed fall on those other places? Why didn't they just plant them on the good soil? Now, I did a little study around this, and when you, would, you know, the seed sowers, the people who come and plant the seeds, or the farmers who are planted, they would normally have a big bucket or like a sling over them. I mean, there's, a, uh, there's no, yeah, there's a picture there, well, an illustration of it. And when they would sow the seed, they would kind of spray it out, almost like, you know, like that sprinkler dance move. Anyone know how to do that one? Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> And so, okay, I've got some seed here. So what they would do is 
They would like throw it out, okay? There we go, they're sweets. There we go, they're sweets. <laughs> you, you want a sweet egg just to keep you in the service, okay? Okay, they're sweets, it's not seeds. So you can have a sweet while I'm talking to you, okay? And they would just go like this and then you can understand, especially if they're on the boundary line, that some of the seed would fall in the good soil on the path in the rocky places and in the thorny ground, not just obviously in the good soil because they would just kind of flick it out like this. Are you with me? It's like a sprinkler head. Now, something else that's fascinating with this reference of the four types, it was actually quite a common practice to speak in uh, or give pictures of four. And this fascinated me when I, when I discovered this yesterday. So in a lot of Jewish literature, so there's often this mention of four types uh, or, or four sets or four different types or, or kinds of things. And there's these ancient texts writing called the Mishnah. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. And written 280, so actually after Jesus, but that's a compilation of a whole bunch of ideas and stories that would have been familiar at the time of Jesus. They're historical writings outside of the Bible that speak about four different types. I've, I've got a... This is, you're probably thinking, what are we coming to church for? This is not like Bible college, but I want you to understand something. So here's a couple examples. That's the original text there. And it speaks about four types of character. Mine is mine, yours is yours. You know how we get that even when it comes to, to marriage. They would talk about the four different types. And ideally, there was one good type to be. So flick through a couple. Uh, there's four kinds of temperaments. Those become angry. Four types of disciplines. Uh, four types of charity givers. And then this one, there are four types among those who sit before the sages or the rabbis. These were like uh, people like Jesus. Uh, a sponge, a funnel, a strainer, and a sieve. A sponge soaks up everything. A funnel takes in at the one end and lets it out the other. A strainer, which lets out the wine and retains the, uh, the lease. And then a sieve, which lets out the coarse meal and retains the choice flour. So these four types... Jesus would have been familiar with the analogy over and above just the farming analogy of referencing four different things. Are you with me? So he was very clever. He was a very intellectual teacher and obviously always try to make it applicable to the times that we're living in. So when we just read the four types of soil, we just go, well, that's great, Jesus. But it was something that they were very familiar with at the time. And what he says, and in all these uh, examples of the four types, there's one ideally that you want to aim for. There's one good one, and in this particular analogy, it's the good soil because blessing comes out of sowing seed on that good soil. What happened? Huh? Monkeys. Did he just open the curtain and have a look? <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so back to the story. So Mark, uh, Mark 4, 8 says, Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and 100 times as much as they planted. Now what's interesting is Mark talks about, he, he staggers it up, like 30, 60, 100. And, but in Luke, Luke just gets straight to the point. Uh, you know, it says, Still other seed, so this is the same story, uh, fell on fertile soil, the seed grew and produced a crop that was 100 times. He just goes straight to the 100 times. He's like, let's not mess around here. If you want to have a blessed, prosperous life, just sow seed on the good soil because you will get 100 times. Uh, or some versions say 100 folds. Now this is where it also gets fascinating. Are you still with me? Okay. You're going to learn something today. Is Jesus... Often when he spoke, so as I said, he, he referenced the four types, but often when he spoke, 
and, and other people would do this in the Bible, other writers, they would quote sections of the Bible from the Old Testament, which were familiar uh, scriptures to, to, the, to the people, and then those would be an inverted, like, like inverted commas. You often read it and they'll reference an Old Testament scripture in the New Testament, okay? But Jesus often did something else. He would give a, a little hint at something because the people listening would have picked up on it. And that uh, is called remes, which is basically the meaning is to hint at something. So he was very clever because the, he, they were, he was trying to get, win them over and, and understand what he was trying to say. He was very scholarly and he was very uh, affay with uh, kind of all the texts. And every night again, he would just hint at a word, which was called remes. And great rabbi teachers during the time of Jesus used to do this. It was a technique that was called remes. In their teaching, they would use part of a scripture passage in a discussion, assuming that the audience's knowledge of the Bible would allow them to do for themselves the fuller meaning of the teaching. Apparently, Jesus, who possessed a brilliant understanding of the scripture and strong teaching skills, used this method often. So he says something in the story and knew that they already understood it from the scriptures and they would know how to bring it into their current story as to expound the story. So anyone want to guess which part of that was Remes? I don't know if anyone wants to take a guess that he references as a hint at. Okay, this is one of those, maybe those trick questions. You don't ever answer these ones, I know. No, I'm kidding, but maybe you do know. But the Remes there is a hundredfold or a hundred times. And if you look back in the Bible, with reference to a farming term, this remez, this 100-fold, only appears once, and it's back in Genesis 26, verse 12. And it says this, when Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested 100 times, more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. So he takes a story they're familiar with, hints at it with the mention of a 100-fold, it's like, well, 30, 60, even 100. You can almost imagine saying, because you guys know that one, plant your seed in the good soil because the Lord blessed him. And later in the story, Jesus tells us that the seed is actually God's word. And they didn't realize at the time, but the word that they were hearing was literally God's word in human form. And when we receive God's word, when we embrace the truth that we are lovers of truth, that we have a harvest because God is blessing it. I think there's a, a pick of a kind of blessed harvest crop. Now what's important to understand about this passage in, uh, that with Isaac is Isaac had to plant the crops. In this story, it just speaks about the, the farmer throwing the seed, but Isaac had to work the land and to prepare the land. I don't know if we've got any farmers here today, or maybe some of you are familiar with farmers. I, I, I grew up on a farm, although they always used to tease my dad because they say he wasn't a real farmer. He was a sugar farmer. You know, they, you know, he didn't have to wake up early like the dairy farmers and you know, the cattle farmers. He would just plant the sugar cane, and then 18 months later, there it is, it grows. I think the sugar farmers actually used to have a bit of a complex about that. They, they would have afternoon sleeps, and my dad's not here, so I can tease him a bit. Um, no, I'm kidding. All farmers have to work hard. But one of the things that you had to do as a farmer is you yourself had to prepare the land. And what does that look like? So once you had harvested from the previous year, you would then let the ground sit for a while just to, you know, the, the soil to kind of renourish itself. But then you would wait for the early rains so it would soften the land a little bit. And then you would start to prepare the fields for 
for, for seed sowing. And there are two major things that farmers must do to break up the unplowed ground. One is burn away all the thorns that get rid of the top layer because you don't want the thorns, which we're going to look at in weeks to come, choking the seed that is coming up. Okay. Two, you had to remove the rocks. You'd have to turn the soil because it would have been hardened. And that's why they would wait, wait for the rain to soften it. And guess what they would do with the rocks that had surfaced in the field? They would take them to the boundary line. And that boundary line continued to grow. And there was, it was a growing boundary line because rocks, as you'll see later, appear. But sometimes they would have to break down these rocks so that they could actually plant the seed. Now, this is also fascinating. You can see I get excited. I like geeked out on this stuff. It was like crazy yesterday. It was, it was awesome. Um, there's, there's two Old Testament mentions of breaking up unplowed ground. Again, Jesus very cleverly hints at these familiar passages to them. And one is Hosea 10, 12. It says this, I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. For now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. And then there's another one in Jeremiah. He was a prophet and um, he was a prophet to the southern kingdom and they were about to be taken out by the Babylonians and they weren't listening. They weren't interested and he was pleading with them just to get things right before God. And this is what Jeremiah says. He says, this is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. Do not waste your good seed among the thorns. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, surrender your pride and your power. And he references and, and makes similarities between that with our hard hearts. Change your hearts before the Lord, or my anger will burn like an unquenchable fire because of all your sins. Now, in some uh, versions of the Word of God, in the Hebrew, when it talks about um, your, your heart, you know, changing your heart, it actually talks about circumcision of the heart. It's like cut away at your heart. And it's a bit of a graphic term for us today. And thank God we don't have to do that today. Imagine we lined up all the men like after church, especially the visitors. We, we've got to do this thing, guys, for you to be a Christian. It's terrifying. We've got the blood bank here, I think, uh, this Saturday. That's terrifying for some of you. Let me tell you, this would have been more terrifying. So they were very familiar with this as well because it was, it, it was like a, a sign, really. And they understood what it means to circumcise your heart, to cut open your heart. Jesus was giving some imagery here because our hearts, as you know, through life, they get hard. And God's saying, I want them to be cut open so that they are soft to be ready for the seed and for what I want to do in your life. Because how many of you know you can never flourish in life if your heart is hard? Same as in a relationship, and I'm sure we've experienced it before, whether it's in a spousal, in a marriage, or just with a partnership or a friendship. When your heart gets hard towards somebody, it's crazy how you begin to change and your actions to that person and your words towards that person change. And we need to constantly, as people, to be all that God wants us to be is constantly preparing our hearts and softening our hearts for what he wants to do today. And if you haven't worked it out already, this parable is actually not about the seed sower. And interestingly enough, in the, in the original text, we, we've subheading these things, we've sub, given these things subheadings, like the, the parable of the sower. But in fact, it's not even about the sower, it's more about the soil. It's more about your heart. It's about the condition of your heart. And God is always challenging us on the condition of our heart. 
Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Like I said a moment ago, when it comes to relationships, it will determine the course of your marriage if your heart is not soft. The NIV says, everything you do flows from your heart. Out of a hard heart, we will not be who God wants us to be in life. So what's the state of our hearts today? And next week, um, we're going to unpack the conversation about actually how the disciples saw the four types of soil and then how the four uh, environments messed with the, the soil and, and the seed. And we, we're going to unpack that a little bit more. And we're going to look at what's in common with the three types of soil where you're not meant to plant. Does that make sense? What are the three common things? And actually, in most of them, it's, it's, it's hardness. The, the, the shaly ground, that's where we can't stick in, you know, on the path or by the rocks or even where the thorns grow, which is normally by the rocks. Now, nothing makes you sweat more than when you have a spade in your hand. <laughs> Anyone want to testify to that? And you think you can't sweat anymore until you hit a rock. That is the most frustrating. I don't know if anyone's ever dug something up or... Uh, God help you if you ever try to dig a pool. I know we've got Pete Shedlock in this church who digs pools for a living. Um, but it is, it's a terrifying thing when you like, you just think, hey, you're going so good with this, this uh, you know, hole that you're doing. And next thing, you just, and like your whole spade like rattles in your hand. You're like, what the heck is that? You go again and then you try somewhere else and you're like, oh my gosh, I've hit a, like a massive rock. It's kind of like when you've got a drill and you hit some, like a concrete or a metal pylon in the wall. Have you ever done that before, guys? Or maybe even ladies who like to drill? <laughs> There's some ladies uh, like Lausanne who really loves a drill. Is Lausanne here today? No. She really does. She loves like uh, drilling things. Anyway, so I remember when I first got married, like you do, you've you got to kind of be a little bit of a homemaker. And then you get your hands into the garden. I didn't know anything about gardening. We had to get a friend to help us. And I did this all by myself. This is like 20-something years ago, 21 years ago to be exact. I, I did that. Isn't that amazing? So I got some sleepers uh, from my uncle who had all. And let me tell you, those things are about that fat. I had to dig them into the ground. I thought, oh, easy. I'll just place them. It took me all day. To, to, to dig these small little uh, grounds and I uh, put my lollipop trees and hey, look at that. And then if you look at a picture or two later, you'll see how they started to grow. Then I put mondi grass, so stoked. Uh, then those lollipop trees uh, grew up. Look how big they became. Eventually they started overcrowding the path and you had to like walk like at an angle. <laughs> Didn't judge that quite well. And then I even did this on the other side of the garden. I dug in these like... Uh, these cement things, that as well, there was some hard ground there. Let me tell you, it was disastrous. But nothing compared to the one day I decided to, and we could, we had a little bit more, I decided to extend the garden a little bit. And this is the picture here. <laughs> I regretted this, like you cannot believe. Because I just wanted a little bit more grass. Guys, I can't even tell you. What, what was meant to be a quick afternoon job turned into months. Because it, I hit some, uh, first of all, I didn't know the septic tank was there. Okay, that was a bit of a problem. And 
the, the, the tar, which I thought would be easy to just bring up a little bit, just to curve around, it was an absolute disaster. And the hard ground underneath, like literally, like I can't tell you what it did. Now, are we willing to work hard to get rid of the hard hearts that we have? And it is going to take some effort. It's going to take constant work. Like I'm telling you now, I know all about that. It took effort. You see, we want to be good soil, but we have to take responsibility to walk through the field of our lives and discover the rocks that are preventing us from receiving his word and doing what he's asking us to do. And some of you today maybe know exactly what rocks are in your life. Others, you may need to just ask God because sometimes those things are hidden. And we all have these things called blind spots. You know, when we think, hey, I'm all good. And God just puts his finger on something and his Holy Spirit is really good at doing that. But you've got to deal with him. Otherwise, you will not produce a bountiful harvest. And can I encourage you as well, when you're lifting up these rocks, get help. Don't do it alone. I think I had to get some help to help me there eventually. Because sometimes when we try and do it alone, we get overwhelmed. And when we have people along our journey to walk with us and to help us move some of those rocks. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, the rocks that you know are there and even the rocks that you don't, please, I want you to get rid of them so I can do what I need to do in your life. And farmers prepare their land every year. And if you're anything like me, I was like thinking, well, why didn't they remove those rocks like once? Like, why, they, why do every year they have to prepare the land? Like year after year, there's rocks. And I, I did a look into this. Like, why didn't they remove the rocks of the field the year before? The thing is with rocks is they just surface. They just sometimes come out of nowhere, sometimes movement underground, but also sometimes the wind, and, and because you've used the land, it's obviously coming away, and then all of a sudden, you, this beat deep below the surface, there's a rock that you didn't even know was there. And it's the same as our lives. Isn't it amazing when we feel like we've dealt with something, and then years later, this thing resurfaces. You're like, ah, I thought I dealt with you. Pride, lying, whatever it is. And we have to work through these things over and over again. And if you missed Open Chapel on Wednesday, Colin preached a really great message uh, talking about the difference between sin, sin management and sin eradication. And he was talking about how sometimes we, we just do maintenance on our temptations. But we're never going to deal with it. We, we, we actually got to dig it out from the roots. But every now and again, this thing that you felt that you dealt with, we have this little thing called pride. Like, I'm good. I'm on top of this thing. And next thing comes back to bite you. Because there's movement. And it's a process that you have to go through regularly in life. When the seed goes out, church, make sure it's landing on good soil. What's the condition of your heart today? What's the condition of the soil of your heart? And my prayer for all of us today is that God would rain down His Spirit on our hard hearts so that our soil is receptive to the work that he wants to do in us. However challenging it may be, but it's so we can have a harvest and produce fruit. I'm gonna end with this. 
and thank you, Jesus, that we have the Spirit of God. Remember I said you can't do this alone. Some of these rocky places in our life we, we can't do alone. And all the way back in the Old Testament, there was a prophet called Ezekiel. And this is so powerful for any of you today that are maybe struggling with this and you feel like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit hard. My heart is a bit hard. We, we all have those areas in life. And even if you think, hey, I've got nothing to deal with, <laughs> guess what? Maybe a little bit of pride that's crept in there and God wants to deal with something. But I love this. And this is so encouraging for us who are believers. Ezekiel 36, 26 way before Jesus. And it's amazing how the Bible is just connected together. Have you learned something today, by the way, just how things connect? Listen to this. I will give you a new heart. This was before Jesus came, before the Holy Spirit even showed up. And I will pour, I will will put, this version says, a new spirit in you. Some say pour, just empty it out into you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Remember I said about that word, listen? Just remember that word and this word obey for next week because you're gonna see how these things work together. And God wants us to be like a sponge you know, a sponge, especially those hard ones. You know, if you try and rub it on your body when it's like those, you know, you get those like rock hard sponges. It's like, it literally be like an exfoliator. You know what I mean? It's gonna hurt. But the true purpose of a sponge is to absorb the water and then it gets soft. And then we can use it to clean our bodies. And that's the idea of a sponge is it starts to become malleable as the soap and the water get into it. And my prayer today is that as we allow the Spirit of God into us, that He removes that heart of stone and He pours in His Spirit, which softens our heart and gives us a new heart of flesh, soft, so that we can receive all that He has for us, His blessings, a hundredfold, a hundred times. Because I don't know about you, I want that for my life. I want God's best. I want His Word to land on the soft soil. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We really are grateful, God. We think of countries around the world where they don't even have access to your word. They can't even Google things. And here we are today, freely able to study your word, hear your word. And let it speak to us today. What a privilege, Lord, to be here today. And I pray that as the word has gone out, like the seed has gone out, even today, that it would land on fertile soil. And God, where there are hard hearts today, because that's the common denominator here, many times our hearts are hard. We we, we full of pride, if we're just honest. Lord, help us embrace the truth, love the truth. And God, where there is shaly ground, where there are hard hearts, Lord, would you help us deal with that today so that you could do what you wanna do in our lives. There is so much you wanna do, it's a hundred times. And many of us don't receive the fruitful blessing because our hearts are hard. So God, by your spirit, even right now, why don't you pray that to God? Say, come Lord Jesus, by your spirit, 
and soften my hard heart. You see your heart's beating now. Maybe even you have a little bit of reservation as to even ask God to soften your heart because your hard heart is how you protect yourself because you've been hurt. And even the the absolute terror of thinking if I soften my heart then he or then she or then this they will take advantage God wants you to have a soft heart because he wants to do a work in you and what you don't realize when you've shut off your life to that person you're also shutting it off to God I'm not saying don't have boundaries but just ask God to soften your heart this morning whatever it is if you're not sure the specifics even say God whatever it is in me that you need to change would you do it and even highlight it to me today or through the course of the week but I want your best for my life I want every seed that you sow every word of truth to produce a fruitful crop Lord I want your best for my life So by your spirit, God, would you work in people's hearts today? And that's the beauty about rain. You don't have to work for that. You see, the farmer can work for everything else, but he doesn't have to work for the rain. It just comes, and that's God's grace. So rain down on your people today, God. Do a deep work in people's hearts. Soften people's hearts, I pray today. Come on, I sense God really doing something in some of your hearts today. Don't sit there full of pride and want to shut them out. Some of you feel like you're on the brink of tears and you're like, oh, I can't cry in public. It's, it's, it's something natural that God has given us. This is not emotional heart, but if, let it release today. Let the tears flow. It's something that God has naturally even designed for us. The tears, it's moisture, it's, it's water. And that's sometimes what you need to soften your heart. We spend most of our lives trying to hold back the tears. You know, guys, even in movies, I'm not going to cry. I've learned just to, just to go with it. Let God do what he needs to do. Let the tears flow. God soften people's hearts today. Break down the hard ground. Uproot the rocks. It's difficult. It's painful sometimes. God, do what you need to do. In Jesus' name. My last prayer today is for anyone here who has had a hard heart towards God your whole life. And today you find yourself in church. Maybe you're new, maybe you're visiting, maybe you've been here a while, but you're like, I've never actually asked God to come into my heart. Like I hear, I feel him here today. He's even talking to me, but you've never fully opened up your life to God. It's called surrender. And I want to pray, pray with you to surrender to, to God, to, to give your life to God, to make a new start today. And we do this at all of our services because we would hate to let any one of you leave here not reconnecting with God. So if you're here today and you'd like to just pray, pray with me. We're all going to pray together. But I'd just love to know who I'm praying this prayer with today. If you're here today, would you mind just popping up your hand and saying, I'd like to pray this prayer, Hilton. Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Anyone else? Amazing. There's hands that have gone up. That's amazing. It's the best prayer you ever pray. Just full surrender to God. Let's pray together, everybody, nice and loud, even those who are joining us online today. Dear Lord Jesus, from today, I ask you to soften my heart and come and live in my life. I'm sorry for my past. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. And from today, Lord, I choose you and I want to live for you. In Jesus' name. Everyone agreed and said, Amen.